Well, good morning. This morning, as we continue on with our Only God series, we're going to look at Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 19. Paul is writing. He's writing to the church in Rome. He hasn't been there yet. And throughout this letter, he's trying to introduce the theology of the gospel that he has been working out so that when he gets there, people will already know what he's been teaching in other places. And here, part of his concern is how do Jewish people who've been living under the, the moral law and the, the religious law of Judaism and people who are non-Jewish come together as Christians in one body? This is what he writes, starting in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Please join me in a prayer for a moment. God, we thank you for allowing us to gather here today in your presence, knowing that you send your spirit wherever your people are, and knowing that when we honor Jesus, that you are honored too. So we've come to worship and to offer our praises to you. We've come to, to pray to you and to, to quiet down for a moment and recognize that you are great, that your power is greater than all the challenges and problems that we see in this world. That when we, when we humble ourselves before you, you hear our prayers. And when our prayers align with your will, what you long to do, you unleash your power in this world. Sometimes in our lives, sometimes in the lives of others, sometimes with the grand affairs that happen in this world at large. Lord, we call on you. We call on you to, to hear us, and not only to hear us, but to, to work in ways that astound us. Healing, fixing broken things, calling people to faith, changing the hearts and minds of those who are opposed to you at different points in time. We ask that you would work through the political system, as confusing as it is, as sometimes as corrupt as it can be. We ask that you would work through the various leaders in business and medicine and science throughout our world to bring good in that wherever their efforts align with your efforts, that you would empower them. We ask that you would heal those who are suffering with COVID, and Lord, we're still astounded by uh, how much this keeps morphing and reappearing and 
unsettling things all around us. We pray for resilience. Resilience in the midst of a fast-changing time. We pray for resilience in a period of time when we get tired of, of all the challenges that we're facing. And we pray for hope. Hope that following you can still transform the way that we live day by day. Hope that others will see in us reason to believe in Jesus, a reason to look for the peace that comes from knowing your gospel. Lord, we also come here today to put ourselves in places where we are reading Scripture and where we are talking about the values that Scripture adds to our lives and trying to come to a greater understanding. And so I pray that you would allow that to happen as well today. And I I ask that wherever we go, whatever we say during this week, that you'd allow us to honor you and that you would set up appointments with other people where we can share what we're learning, we can share the hope that we have, and that we can be a light in the midst of a sometimes dark and challenging time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A writer from the Atlantic magazine asked this question. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. And then he said, who said that? Was it Kanye West or Michael Bloomberg? What do you think? Do you have an opinion? Who might have said that? I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. Now, you don't have to venture a guess unless you really want to, but the truth is, rapper Kanye West said those words in track five of 2007's Can't Tell Me Nothing album. But former New York Mayor Bloomberg also said something fairly close to that. And Bloomberg's comment caught quite a bit of attention as the 2016 presidential election was ramping up. He was talking with members of the press about some of his favorite accomplishments. And you know politicians, they love to talk about their own accomplishments. Some of those included spending $50 million of his own money on an anti-gun program, leading an anti-smoking campaign, and then there were a few other projects that he named. And this was his direct quote. This is what I want to present to you. Quote, I am telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close, unquote. Wow. Most people don't say that quite so boldly. However, when you break it down and you look more carefully at that, Many people in our day actually hold views that are quite similar. It's the idea that the good things that we do somehow impress God and outweigh the bad, or it is the hope that human beings are able to determine which good deeds earn our way into heaven. For the sake of brevity, I'm going to refer to this as the Bloomberg hope. I have no desire to pick on Mayor Bloomberg in particular, But this comment represents something that is very common in our day. So today we're going to take a closer look at what God's Word says about the Bloomberg hope. This theme fits rather neatly into our Only God series. In this series we're looking at events that can can only be explained or understood through the intervention of God into human affairs. If you remember, I launched this series uh, about a month and a half ago, and it was prompted when an older, wiser pastor challenged me and a handful of other pastors with this thought. 
What if you only had 10 weeks left in your current ministry setting? What 10 themes would you present to your congregation that you think people need to hear and that have some level of urgency? Each of the messages in this series has an only God factor. As I, as I doodled about that question on a notepad, the, the theme of only God kept coming back to me. And today's topic is extravagant love. It's the extravagant love of God that we, we see that, that brings us again to this only God cry. So welcome to Sunday morning at North River. I'm glad to be back after a couple of Sundays where Sue and I were away for a couple of weddings. I had the privilege of officiating Brendan and Julianne Dickinson's wedding in Charleston, South Carolina, and I bring greetings from some of our North River friends who have moved down to North Carolina. We saw Bob and Terry Wynn and Dave and Jill Vang, Gloria Fisher and Leanne Vinyl, all of whom we saw in Southport, North Carolina. How good it was to see a bunch of old friends who share our mission here at North River for so many years. Over dinner one night, I asked this group, what did North River contribute to your spiritual growth over a couple of decades or more that you spent here? The first answer that popped out was that they all looked fondly on that sense of having a mission that we all shared together. This is North River's mission, helping people who are far from God become fully developed worshipers and servants of Christ. I am so glad that you are here today too. Let me warmly welcome all of you who are in the room with us and also those of you who are watching online today. We are one church in multiple locations sharing the same mission. If you're new to North River, please take a moment to fill out a connection card out at the welcome desk or if you're online today, you can click the connection card link or fill out a connection card on the My North River app. I would love to hear your comments and your questions about what you're thinking, how you're engaging with North River, what you're learning, or what you're confused about. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way. Send me an email, paul at northriverchurch.org. Here's the question that I want to ask this morning. Can we earn our way and simply march right into heaven? I ask this question not because I think that uh, our regular congregation is illiterate about what the Bible says, but rather because our culture keeps bringing this idea back again and again, and it seeps into what many of us are tempted to think. So let's see what God's Word has to say about that question. Can we earn our way and simply march right into heaven? Here's the big idea for this morning. In love, only God can provide a way to heaven that overcomes our sin and our self-righteousness. Our theme is extravagant love. There's a sub-theme for this morning. It's why the gospel is such good news. There are two parts of this theme that I want to present. The first is the holes in the Bloomberg hope. There are four of them that we identify through Romans chapter 3. Here's the first one. Everyone has a sin problem. In verse 9 of Romans chapter 3, Paul writes, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So he is saying that everybody on the face of this earth is under the power of sin. We all have a problem with it. We can't make it go away. We can't perfect ourselves. When the Apostle Paul wrote his, his letter to the Roman church, he was giving them advance notice of the gospel that he had been commissioned to deliver. He was commissioned directly by Jesus through an appearance that Jesus made to Paul directly. The church in Rome was comprised of both Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. They were already becoming a persecuted minority, so Paul wanted to offer them a theologically sound basis for putting all of their hope in Jesus in the midst of a season of trials. 
He also wanted them to know and experience the unity that faith in Christ brings, despite the different cultural differences that we can bring to the equation. One universally shared challenge that he identifies is that we all have a sin problem. He makes that point in Romans 3.9 that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Simply put, we are fundamentally unable to perfect ourselves or to overcome our sinful urges. Friends of Bill around here put it this way, we admitted that we were powerless, that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. We made a searching and fearless inventory of ourselves. Our friends in the AA movement have taken these principles that literally come right from Scripture. While those four steps are written to help alcoholics overcome their addictions, they can help all of us with the addictions and the patterns that we are unable to control or to eradicate in all of our lives. So the first problem with the Bloomberg hope is that we all have this sin problem. It's there. We're either very conscious of it or mildly conscious of it or kind of blissfully unaware, but it's still there. Acknowledging that we all sin doesn't mean that we are saying that we are as bad as we can possibly be, but God counts every failure to live up to his moral expectations as sin. So the primary word that the New Testament uses for sin literally means that we fall short or that we come up short. Uh, Not that we're terrible people, but we just keep coming up short on what God really desires. So walking straight in like Bloomberg might actually present a problem for us. Here's the second hole in the the Bloomberg hope. We have to give an account to God. Verse 19 starts off by saying, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Again, I don't mean to pick on Mr. Bloomberg specifically, But many people have this same idea. It's part of the operating system that we see so often within our culture. Mr. Bloomberg's statement was that he wasn't going to stop for any interview. He's just going to walk straight in confidently. So he's probably imagining all those jokes that people have about when they get to the pearly gates, who's going to interview them, who's going to ask the tough questions. Michael Bloomberg was born in Boston at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. His family was Jewish. He's a member of Emmanuel Temple in Manhattan, and his grandfather was a rabbi. The Apostle Paul, author of Romans, was trained by one of the most well-known first-century rabbis in the world known as Gamaliel. So when Paul writes these words, he was referring to his own people, especially those who put their hopes in the law. In other words, that they can be morally good people, so good that God tells them you can just walk right in. He lets us know that the impact of being under the law is that it silences everyone, Jews and non-Jews. Why? Because we have to give an account to God. And that's where our falling short is destined to show up. In other words, nobody skips the interview. That's what he's saying here when he says that everyone has to give an accounting to God. Nobody skips the interview. Not Bloomberg, not anybody else. Nobody just walks based in on their own personal goodness as if they, they earned their place and that God is so impressed. 
If I only had 10 weeks left of ministry at North River, I would want everyone who's connected to our church to know this and to be clear about this. The righteous demands of the moral law of God silence all of us. They take away all of our reasons for boasting about ourselves. None of us will have an excuse before God. And God holds us all, not just some, accountable for all that is done right and all that is done wrong in our lives. He doesn't play favorites. There are no special exemptions, no matter how wealthy people are. Here's the third hole in the Bloomberg hope. No one will be declared righteous by virtue of the law. Paul says this in Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous. That's an interesting theme that we'll come back to, declared righteous. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. When Paul writes about being declared righteous, he uses a legal or forensic term. This term pictures a judge rendering a verdict. Only God, as the eternal judge, can declare someone to be righteous in his sight, which means they're seen as innocent in his sight. Well, that means that we have a problem. Because by ourselves, we've already acknowledged we are powerless over sin. Sometimes our best efforts simply fall short. Sometimes we consciously do what we know is wrong. These are sins of commission. Sometimes we simply refuse to do the good that we ought to do. These are sins of omission. Sometimes our sins can be our poisonous, angry, hateful, jealous, or lustful thoughts that can fill our minds in such a way that our minds become polluted even though nobody sees an outward behavior. There's so much there that Paul clearly reminds us that no one will be declared righteous in the sight of God by virtue of their own efforts, their own personal performance. Do you see how the Bloomberg hope ignores this reality? While the moral law of God provides clear guidelines for how to live well, the law is also a harsh taskmaster. So the picture Paul gives us is that our performance measured against the law of God will not lead to any of us being declared righteous or declared innocent by God. Do you see the problem? With that kind of standard, everyone comes up short. You, me, all of us. So we've seen that everyone has a sin problem. We all have to give an account to God. No one will be declared righteous by virtue of the law. And here's the fourth hole in the Bloomberg hope that Paul presents here in chapter 3 of Romans. Moral awareness makes us conscious of sin. In other words, the, the more we become aware of what God really wants from us and how holy God is and of what his standards are, the more we become conscious of our sin. He says it in the back half of verse 20. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Are you aware of the current case of American basketball player Brittany Griner? Some of you may have followed this because it came back up in the news this week since our government is considering trading her imprisonment in Russia for somebody else who's, who's committed a very heinous crime. Brittany is a six-foot-eight-inch professional basketball player in the WNBA. The WNBA season is rather short, so many of these women who are the best players in the world also play for teams overseas. So Brittany Griner has played for a team in Russia for the past few years. 
Not fully aware of the danger, she re-entered Russia just as the violence against Ukraine began. When she entered, she had in her possession some CBD oil, which a number of professional athletes use to deal with the pain in their knees and their joints and such, which also happens to be tremendously illegal in Russia. When she entered, she had in her possession some CBD oil, and a drug-sniffing dog led the police to her and to her luggage, and she's been in prison since the conflict began. In the eyes of the Russian government, her lack of awareness does not exempt her from the law. Does that make sense with what we're talking about right now? Perhaps you've heard of this ancient maxim, ignorance of the law is not an excuse. Now, this isn't an American invention. It actually comes from an ancient phrase in Latin, ignorantia juris non excusat. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse for breaking the law. The reason is, if it was an excuse, everyone would simply pretend that they didn't know. Oh, officer, I just didn't know. You've got to let me go. Now, Paul points out one more feature of the law. It makes us conscious of our sin. So being ignorant of God's law in the same way as in international law or national law, is not an excuse. And the more we know the law, read the law, even meditate on the law through the Bible, the more conscious we are of the law. Even when people who are raised in Jewish or Christian homes renounce their faith, that doesn't exempt anyone from the basic expectations God has for what we do with the life he gives us and with the opportunities we have to reflect his goodness and glory through the way that we conduct our lives. Unless you think that this message is going to be one huge guilt trip, I want to present it to you this way. All four of these observations work to show us how the gospel is such good news. Again, here's our big idea for this morning. In love... Only God can provide a way to heaven that overcomes our sin and self-righteousness. So let's talk about, in the light of the Bloomberg hope that we have just dissected, why the gospel is such good news. Here's the first reason. Despite everything that we've talked about already, God loves us. That's the, that's the, the, the express statement of the gospel. In John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus is the one who says, For God so loved the world that he, gave, he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. First comes the news that God loves us. He loves everyone in this world. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only Son, Jesus. He gives us a choice. Whoever believes in Jesus will not perish. In other words, to die with the weight of our own sins on our shoulders, but will have eternal life. In contrast with what Paul has presented about the law and our accountability to God, this is such amazing good news. God knows that we all come up short. God knows that we sometimes willingly defy him. God knows that we cannot make ourselves righteous, and he loves us anyway. He loves us so much that he sent his only son into this broken and confused and defiant world to defeat the power of sin and death. I love the line in that song that we just sang a few minutes ago. He buried my past so my future could start. That's what he does through his grace and through his saving work. So the first reason that this is such good news is that despite all that we know about ourselves, God still loves us. 
Second, there is a righteousness that comes from God rather than our own righteousness that we have to either accomplish or claim as a self-righteousness. So verse 21 in Romans 3 comes as a great contrast to all the things we talked about a moment ago. It comes with this contrast that's expressed in, but now. But now, in other words, we're in, we're in a new day. But now, we're in the day of hope. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, the same Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, that's a shorthand code word for the Old Testament, the Jewish Scriptures, the same Old Testament that tells us about all these principles where we come up short, also foretold of a righteousness that comes from God. This is a righteousness apart from the law, which means it's a righteousness that's not achieved by getting everything right in our lives. So Paul is saying this is not a performance-based righteousness. This is not a self-righteousness that's going to make us feel good about ourselves and everybody else think that we're holier than thou. Theologians instead refer to this as an alien righteousness. It comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from God himself. It's the righteousness of Christ that gets applied to all who put their faith in him. Paul tells us that the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets foretold this. This should not be a surprise to those who read the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, frequently. We can find it going all the way back to Abraham. We saw this a few weeks ago in this series where it says in Genesis 15:6 that Abram believed God and God counted that as righteousness. In other words, there's a transaction that goes on. And it's as old as Abraham that when we put our faith in the Lord and in His way, He takes that faith and He trades it. He takes our sins and He gives us His own righteousness. So we are not people who are better than everybody else and try to lord that over people. We are people who are simply infused with the righteousness of Christ, which is offered as a gift, which we finally wake up and smell the coffee and say, of course I want this, Lord. You're going to give me something that I could never achieve myself? that allows me to have a right standing with you, I'll take that deal any day of the week. And this is such good news. It means that you and I don't have to outperform anyone else. When our beliefs get away from the Bible, people suppose that God grades on a curve. And we say, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as, as uh, Steen. I'll get in. Of course I'll get in. That is this idea that God grades on a curve, and as long as you're not in the, the lowest group, and who determines the lowest group? Well, we do. When we use that illustration, we always put ourselves above the curve. We say, you're in. But that actually goes against everything that the Bible really teaches. How wonderful, instead, that God provides a righteousness that is outside of the law, that is apart from the law, a righteousness that comes from on high. And here's the third reason why this gospel is such good news. In the light of our own shortcomings, this kind of righteousness comes through faith. In verse 22, Paul says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. In other words, we are all offered the same opportunity to all who believe he gives this righteousness. That means that God has one righteousness plan that is available to everybody, Jew and non-Jew and whatever other label we would use. 
He doesn't have one plan for this group and another plan for that group. The same righteousness plan applies to all people. This righteousness is a gift from God that is given on the basis of putting our faith and trust in Jesus as God's Son and as the one who came to conquer sin on that cross. So what does this mean for us? It means that God asks us to place our trust in Jesus, that he has paid sin's penalty for us, and that faith in Jesus really has, faith that Jesus really has conquered sin and death by the cross and by the resurrection. On Thursday of this past week, I had a great conversation with two women. I was having some blood drawn for some tests that I had to have, and I have to do this every few months. And the phlebotomist went in to, to get help. She couldn't find a vein. I guess I have lousy veins these days. And so she went to get help. And after a few minutes, a more experienced medical worker provided, and she started a conversation. I know what this conversation is about. She's trying to make me feel settled down. And so she asks, who are you? And, you know, what are your plans? And, oh, do you have great weekend plans? And I said, well, I actually work on weekends. And she said, oh, really, what do you do? And I said, remember, you asked... I said, I'm, I'm a pastor. She said, oh, where were you a pastor? I said, uh, this wonderful congregation in Pembroke. It's called North River Church. And she said, that's really interesting. You know, uh, when I got interested in science back in college, I bagged my faith. I walked away from, from the church that she described. It doesn't matter what it is right now for this purposes. And we got into this conversation. She said, how did you get into being a pastor? And why on earth would you do that? Do you, do you like it? What kind of things are you involved in? And the conversation just kept uh, going a little bit deeper and deeper. And pretty soon I realized she's done taking my blood. She's just sitting there leaning against the wall, intrigued by this conversation. I'm guessing it's been quite a while since she had a faith conversation with somebody who really believes because she put it all on the shelf. And she said at one point, I still believe in God. It's church and all the other stuff that I have a hard time with. And I said, you know, it sounds to me like you have some level of faith there, but you haven't exercised it in a long time. And for faith to be effective, you really have to exercise it. She said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you're a person of science. Have you considered the evidence of the resurrection? For me, the pathway to faith really comes to that one critical event. If Jesus really walked out of the tomb that day, then everything else gets a whole lot easier because everything else is simpler than that one great event. And if he did walk out of the tomb that day, it means that he has power over death. And it means that he has power over sin because he announced that he was going to the cross to take on the sins of the world. This is all in a five-minute conversation in one of those little rooms with a curtain where they're, where they're drawing blood. It was an amazing conversation. And I realized that God was just opening up the door. And the reason I was there to have blood drawn really wasn't so much for the medical part of it. It's because here's this person who's been thinking about God somewhere in the back of her mind who still maintains his faith in God while she says that science keeps her away from God. And then I told her the Lou Trafficanti story that we shared a few weeks ago about how Lou was a, a medical doctor, did postdoctoral research, working on the Big Bang in, at NYU. And during those years, it was very, very heady stuff that he had his mind into. And he was one of the, those early people that realized that science can bring the creation of the world down to those four little main gases that we believe that the Big Bang exploded from. But as he was thinking about that, he realized nobody's 
answering the deepest question, which is, where did those four gases come from? And it led him back to the Bible. It led him back to reconsider the God that he had shelved years ago. And I told her that story and how, how Lou was a brilliant doctor and went on and did cancer research up at the Lacey Clinic. I said, think about this. Some of the most brilliant scientific people I know had to reevaluate their conclusion that God wasn't worth bringing in, into the picture because of science that led them back to the Bible. And we ended the conversation there. That's all there was time for. So many people look at the law of God and they give up because they know they don't measure up. And so they conclude that it all gets too hard. How good it is to know that the God that we serve knows that we will never, never measure up by keeping the law. But He will declare us to be righteous in His sight when we put our faith in Jesus, the Jesus who came to pay the debt we could never pay, the Jesus who came to claim the victory that we could never claim on our own. And when we go through this transaction where we give him our faith and trust, he gives us the very righteousness that we could never produce on our own. And God pronounces a verdict. He declares us to be righteous by divine fiat and announces that all who have put their faith in his Son his son who he sent to save the world had been declared innocent in God's sight, not because we are innocent, but because he has given us a righteousness from on high, the very thing that God longs for us to have. He gives us when we trust him, when we trust in Jesus. So if this was one of my last messages ever, I would want you to know this principle. I would want you to know that this is the bedrock of New Testament theology, that God gives us the very thing that he requires from us if we will trust in his son. Have you put your faith in Jesus? I don't know everybody here. I know that many have, but perhaps some have not. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to identify you in some way. But I'm going to ask the question, would you like to put your faith in Jesus today? Or do you want to continue trusting in the Bloomberg hope with all of the holes that we've identified in that hope. I dare tell you that while Mr. Bloomberg is not going to walk right into heaven without an interview, Jesus walked right out of the tomb and nobody stopped him and nobody got in his way. And that's the one I'm putting my trust in. And you can too. Pray along with me. Some words very similar to this Put it in your own words, your own language. Dear God, I too have been thinking that you graded on a curve. I too have been hoping that all the good I can do will outweigh the bad. And the truth is that scares me if I really look at it honestly. There's more there that I tend to overlook, that I tend to forget. And I'm embarrassed by it. Thank you for being a God who loves me anyway and who sent his son to solve this unsolvable problem, humanly unsolvable problem. Thank you for allowing Jesus to take my sins and to nail them to the cross where they are finished with. I'm putting my trust today in Jesus as much as I understand him, as best as I know how because I know that I fall short like everybody else. 
And if you're giving this kind of gift, I want to take it. I want to possess it. I want to trust it. I want to build my life around it. Help me start anew today. Lord, hear the, pri- the prayers of all of us. We thank you for this wonderful gift of not a self-righteousness that makes us proud, but a divine righteousness that comes as an immeasurable gift. Thank you for loving us so much that despite all that you knew, you put this plan in place anyway to rescue us, to redeem us, to give us lives of purpose, to give us lives that are filled with a hope that's anchored to the resurrection of Jesus. Let us go forward this day, having sung about the resurrection, having rehearsed the values that flow from it, and allow us to live lives that are empowered to make a difference in the world and to operate by hope day by day, no matter what the world throws at us. And we thank you and we worship you for all of this in Jesus' mighty name.